0: The Paul Leslie Hour Helping people tell their stories And now, your host, Paul Leslie
1: Hey, it's me Hello and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour I am honored that you're here You know, one of the great things about this show And I have to say it's a blessing in my life Is the archives I have many, many interviews Some of them were broadcast on the radio And then that week They went off the air and never to be heard of again. And this would be one of those. I was reminded of this interview not long ago, a few days back actually. This is an interview that I recorded with Buddy Mora. Buddy Mora passed away in 2019. At the time I did this interview with him, he had retired as a talent manager. He worked for the most prestigious management firm, Rollins & Jaffe. Through the years, Buddy Mora represented great talent. Comedians like David Letterman, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, the jazz guitarist, John Pizzarelli. I recorded this short interview with him over the phone. Like I said, this was broadcast on the radio, and I thought that I would bring this out. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by the listeners and viewers like you. I have this archive. I'm doing my best to get everything out there and into the world. If you'd like to make a contribution, go to thepaulleslie.com. Click on support the show. It would mean a lot. You can also help by sharing this interview. Share it on social media. Tell someone about it. Word of mouth really helps. And now, my interview with the late Buddy Mora.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure we welcome our special guest, Buddy Mora. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Pleasure to be here, Paul. I'm not sure what I'm doing here,
0: but I'm here. <laughs> I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up?
2: Growing up, it was kind of nice. It was like a lower middle or middle class family. We lived in the Bronx. My father had some fruit and vegetable stores. He also had a push cart for a while. He had a truck for a while, and we always managed to eat, and we always managed to have food, so we were okay. It was kind of a nice, sweet growing up. I'm glad I grew up that way, actually.
0: Can you remember early on what you wanted to do as an occupation?
2: Yes, I wanted to be a singer.
0: And did you ever pursue it?
2: Yes, I did. It wasn't terribly good. <laughs> and at some point, I realized after a couple of years of having a good time running around, sleeping late, that, you know, I had nothing special to offer. And my oldest friend at the time was a comedian, asked me if I'd be interested in working for the guy that represented him. He said he, had a, he was doing okay and he could afford not very much money, but he, I had the job if I wanted it. So I went to work for this guy for 30 bucks a week.
0: Cash. The all-important Cash. <laughs>
2: Very important.
0: What city was this in?
2: In New York City. It was in 1957. I've been on my own until then, yeah. I had my own office for a while after I decided to give up singing and was just scraping by at best. And then his offer came along and I took it. So I went from 30 bucks a week to 40 bucks a week. Then I went to 50 bucks a week and then he put me on a percentage. But he was much smarter than I was because the percentage came out to be the same 50 bucks a week.
0: (laughs) Early on, the business side of the entertainment business, was it something you enjoyed?
2: Oh, I always loved it. Yeah, I always loved it. Even as a young man, I would just... I would read all the gossip columns. In those days, we had like, I think, five or six newspapers in New York. I used to read all those columns about what was going on in Hollywood, what was going on on Broadway. I was very interested in that. So, yes.
0: Tell us about how you started to specialize in comedians.
2: I had my own office for four years or so, something like that. And then I had the opportunity to join Rollins and Jaffe. They offered me a job, which was at that time the most prestigious management company in the industry. They handle Woody Allen, Dick Cabot, lots of really interesting people, and it was an incredible organization. And I went to work for them, and that changed my whole life. They loved a lot of people, mostly comedians. They were very successful with that. So I just kind of fell into that.
0: What are your memories of them personally, Jack Rollins and Charles Joff?
2: Jack Rollins, who I recently saw about a month or two back, I was in New York visiting my grandkids. and I went to see him at the hospital. He had not been well. He'd been in the hospital for a while. And we talked for a while. He was kind of semi-awake, in and out. And I said, Jack, I just want you to know that you changed my life. And he said to me, (laughs) a lot of people have told me that. (laughs) And he did. And he did change my life. I went from the bottom rung of show business, whatever that was, just way the hell down, to the top rung in one leap and learned an awful lot from them.
0: You said that they were at the top. What was it about Charles Jaffe and Jack Rollins that made that management company what it was?
2: Without question, the most prestigious management company in the industry. Everybody wanted to be with that company. We never had a contract with anybody, which is unusual. Then and even now, it's just a handshake and we went to work. That was it.
0: Why do you think they were so successful? Why do you think they were so prestigious?
2: (sighs) They were smart. They were intelligent. Jack Riles was a very smart man. An intellectual, if you will. Read a lot. Could read a Woody Allen script and just be so precise about what was wrong and what was right about it that the first time that any time that Woody Allen wrote a script, the first person that would read it would be Jack Rollins. That it was also that and the manners that they worked in, no contracts with anybody. It was a very loose relationship with the clients and a very good one and very honest by the way. The company policy was there was a little an embroidery that was made by somebody that was hanging in the office that said, Don't embarrass the office <laughs>
0: That's pretty good advice.
2: I had one made when I was living in L.A., and, and I put the double, uh, I misspelled it deliberately, thinking it might be funny, but nobody ever caught on to it. <laughs>
0: Did you have any personal involvement with Woody Allen during those years?
2: No. Outside of just no. knowing him, but not terribly well, but knowing him, found him to be a very, very nice man. My son, who was then a kid at the time, I don't know, 10, 9, 10, or whatever, was delving into magic. And uh, Woody had, was a very good sleight of hand magician, by the way. And my son would come to the office every once in a while, and Woody would take him into the little conference room, and he'd sit on the floor with him, and he'd do magic tricks for him. So. But no, I did not have any relationship with him in terms of, of uh, business.
0: What about your move out to California? When did that happen?
2: About 36 years ago, 37 years ago.
0: Was the business in California different than New York?
2: I never found it to be different. I mean, people used to say that, I don't know if they meant it as a joke, oh, it's California, it's different. It's not different. You'd, I was dealing with the same people here that I used to deal with in New York. Now I was much more face-to-face with them than I was on the phone, like I was in New York. But I found the business to be exactly the same. Uh, probably a little less honest, maybe, out here than, than in New York, But but the same, essentially.
0: What about working with Billy Crystal?
2: That was a joy. That was a joy. I got a call one day from this guy, gosh, I wish I could remember his name, who was the manager of Shanana. He called me from Buddha Records, and we had met a few times before. We didn't really know what to tell you. I said, listen, there's this very funny group, three guys here, that are just hysterically funny. You should come down and see them, They at the Buddha offices. And so I went down. It was about three or four blocks from our office. I went down, I saw them, and I saw the group. I started to work with the group, and then, oh, I don't know, maybe four or five months later or so, I broke up the group and just started to work with Billy, who we thought was, had the most to offer at that point. My wife said to me, why are you working with him? You should work with the other guys. They're funny. <laughs> the last time. And thank goodness I didn't listen to her. <laughs> I haven't listened to her since. <laughs>
0: what is Billy Crystal like to work with?
2: I found Billy to be a terrific guy. He's one of my favorite people, one of my favorite clients. He's a very smart young man, by the way. He knows a lot of things. I found him to be very pleasant, no problems. I don't, do we ever have an argument? We may have had maybe one argument in 30 years or whatever where we disagreed, but that was very rare.
0: What happens when a manager disagrees with a client?
2: The client usually wins. Well, unfortunately, what happens? With, see, with our company, which was interesting, is that we never took a client except when they were just first starting out; they were brand new. We never took established clients. Not that it wasn't possible to take one; we did turn down established clients. But we liked working with somebody who was brand new. Why? It was much more interesting. It was much more adventurous for us if we could if we had a plan for them, and that and that plan came to fruition after whatever, six months or a year later, you know, which is what the plan was. So they could essentially call their own shots at a certain point. And so when that happens, the relationship kind of changes, by the way. In the beginning, the client who's brand new relies on you totally. You are their God for a moment and hopefully you make right decisions. Most of the time we did. Sometimes we didn't, but most of the time we did. And once they get to a position of importance and becoming a much more important client personality, the relationship kind of changes a little bit where you can't just respond or act with them the way you did when they were first starting out. They won't accept it. It's not right. And you have to change with the times, which which took a little while to do, but we
0: When you think of all the clients that you've had through the years, is it possible to pick a favorite?
2: Yeah, I would say probably John Pizzarelli.
0: What made him your favorite?
2: He seemed to have no ego. Now, we all have egos. Some of them, the egos don't come out. He's just a very easy guy to be with. He listened You could say things, he listened, sometimes he went went along with what you said, sometimes he didn't, but he listened. And it was just a joy to be with him. And he appreciated, he greatly appreciated what we tried to do for him. And I think that made a a big difference. And I still, to this day, although I've been retired 14 years, I talk to John probably once a week, once every 10 days.
0: What about the first time you heard a young David Letterman performing?
2: Well, the first time I saw David Letterman was at the comedy store in Westwood, which doesn't exist any longer. I was with one of my partners and one or two other people, and I'd never seen or heard of David Letterman. But I knew when he came out and he started to talk, because he was never a very good stand-up comedian. But there was something special about it. I even said to my partner, that time, this is the next Johnny Carson. And I went back to talk to him, but the guy at the, uh, who was running back, the manager, said, you know, he has a manager. I said, oh, well, then I'm not going to go back. I didn't talk to him. But then a few months later, I was at NBC for some reason, and he was doing a, hosting a game show, a pilot for a game show, Next Studios. So I went over and I spoke with him.
0: Letterman is very much a legend. When you think about him in those days, and you see him now, is it hard to believe?
2: Not really. I always thought that he could do what he was doing. I always thought so. And we got started with him, and things just moved really quickly. I think one of the leading factors was that after he started making a little bit of noise out here, The Tonight Show called. And The Tonight Show, at that point, when they had comedians on the show, it was kind of a policy that you never sat down with Carson until you've done three shots on that show as a stand-up. And I kept turning down the show because I knew Letterman's stand-up was not that great, but he'd be great sitting down with Carson because that lot of same things in common. And I must have turned it down half a dozen times. And then finally they said to me one day, okay, you can sit down. Then we took the show.
0: Wow. What makes a good manager a good manager?
2: Good question Well, honesty for one I think is very important You know I mean, you have to be honest With the clients And sometimes it's not as easy As it may sound You know, if you have critiques About a particular client Hopefully you're right Of course And you try to explain that To the client You're dealing with egos now And actors are very very fragile So it has to be presented In an interesting way Where you're not Offending their ego But at the same time Making your point Sometimes it's not, not easy to do, but you, you find a way sometimes.
0: What is the best thing about being Buddy Mora?
2: Ah, that's a good question. Yeah, that's my wife. That I think <laughs> we're about to celebrate 50 years.
0: Wow! Congratulations.
2: Thank you. Uh, early May we celebrate. Yeah, end of May. Yeah, it's been an incredible ride. I mean, I my she is she's amazing. <laughs> All I, can tell you, I don't know where I'd be without her. Quite honestly, I once said to her not too long ago, I said, "Why did you want to marry me?" She said, I just had a feeling you were the right guy and you would do well, because when I first met her, I was making like 20 bucks a week or something like that on my own. You know? I mean I couldn't pay the rent, really. So she saw a spark. I, I, I hope so. <laughs> unless, you, unless she was lying, I don't know.
0: <laughs> what do you want to say to anyone who is listening to this interview?
2: She was Well, if you're going out to see live talent, do listen to them, don't make noise. Don't slurp your soup. Otherwise, don't go to the club. Stay home and listen to the radio or something. I mean, pay attention to these people. They work real hard. It's important for them to get your acknowledgement and your applause. Assuming you like them. If you don't like them, they don't applaud. But otherwise, be be kind, be be attentive, pay attention. You learn a lot more that way. And I think also you get to be a bit more discriminating that way. If you see enough talent after a while, you can be a little more discriminating in your taste. Because everybody has talent. It's just that what kind of talent is it and does it rise to where the general public can love it and, and like it and understand it?
0: Mr. Mora, it's been a pleasure to do this interview.
2: My pleasure, Paul. Sorry I didn't get to you a little earlier, but my daughter's back east in Harrison, New York, and there's floods and things I couldn't get through for the longest time. I finally got through, so that took a little time on the phone.
0: I appreciate it very much. It's been a joy. Thanks. Take it easy. Thanks, Paul.
2: Bye. Bop, bop. Stealing, pop, pop, ba-doo, bop, tu ki pa-k-su-ki, lu ki go ram pa k but zan ba a yeah. zika va ka pu ka goodbye.